founded Movable Inc. back in 2010. They've now scaled to over 500 customers, uh, about 40 million bucks in ARR. They're up, you know, growing 50 to 100 percent year over year. They've managed to drive this growth on just 14 million bucks raised. So they managed to do a lot with a little bit of money. 110% net revenue retention annually with a very healthy pricing axis that allows allows them to drive expansion revenue, really tied to, again, open rates on those emails of these big enterprise customers using them. They've got less than a 12-month payback period. Their team of 250 people cranking out new products between New York City, San Fran, London, and other remote locations. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. They had no money when they started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Vivek Sharma. He co-founded Movable Inc. in 2010 and has led the company through rapid growth to a leading market position with 200 plus employees, serving 500 of the most innovative consumer Brands. Through his leadership, Google Inc. is helping digital marketers embrace a visual world with intelligent creative that adapts at the moment of engagement. Vivek, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's do this, Nathan. All right, cool. Just to be clear, you say you're working with 500 of the most innovative consumer brands. Those are all customers, right? There's no freemium product, nothing like that. No freemium. We got rid of that years ago. So <laughs> customers, we like money. We like green dollars. We'll take euros. We'll take yen. You're my kind of guy. Okay, so what's the company do? And is it a pure play SaaS model? Uh, it is a pure play SaaS model. So Movable Inc. Uh, exists in a world where we work with lots of big consumer brands that have harvested a huge amount of data. They really understand their customers. There's APIs, data, CSV files. They manage all of this. What they struggle with is taking all this great data and translating that into compelling visual experiences. Uh, that's where Movable Inc. comes in. We have a SaaS platform. Uh, it is completely on the cloud. There, there's no on-premise. And any marketer will log into our system, be able to configure pieces of intelligent creative that they can embed into their email marketing. And so when that email opens up, uh, our code fires and we're able to generate the perfect visually compelling content at that moment of opening. And I don't want to go down every customer cohort, but in general, what would you say a consumer or brand uh, or business or brand pays you on average per year for this kind of thing? Uh, there's a pretty wide range. So uh, most of our customers are large enterprises. So we've got brands like Starbucks, Nike, Hilton, The Gap, American Express using us. Uh, we, we don't really start at less than about $30,000 a year for those enterprise brands. Uh, we do right. a market tier as well. But we've got companies that pay north of a million dollars a year. We've got lots of companies that pay uh, several million dollars a year to Movable Inc. to uh, power all of their visual experiences in email. Okay, this is great. So good. Uh, 2010 founded. Um, you've scaled today. 500 customers. Now, have you bootstrapped this or have you raised capital? We have raised capital, uh, but we've been very capital efficient. Uh, we About several months ago, we passed about $40 million in annual recurring revenue. And most companies that have gotten to this point, you know, they've raised $80, 90 $100 million in capital. 
uh, we've only raised about $14 million in venture capital. And uh, it's been a long time since I've gone out there and uh, and raised capital. So been super capital efficient. And our favorite source of capital, our favorite investor are our customers who pay us on time. Yep. No, that's great. I imagine you don't miss having to go out and raise capital. So that's a good problem to have. Uh, I want to break down and, and kind of get into some economics here. You mentioned 40 million run rate today, which puts you at about 3.3 million per month. What does growth look like? Where are you at a year ago? Uh, we're growing really nicely. Uh, I, I think the one area we're especially proud of is in the last 18 months, uh, we've been able to configure our sales teams and go to market with partners more effectively. So uh, especially on the net new side, the new, completely new logos, we've had triple digit growth in bringing in new logos and in, in revenue growth. So I can't break out exact numbers uh, about overall gap revenue and ARR growth, but uh, we're still growing very strongly, even past this $40 million ARR. So the future looks pretty exciting over the next couple of years. Well, okay. Generally, I, I love those growth metrics, but I mean, generally speaking, if we tie that back to some kind of revenue, it sounds like you're, I mean, can we say you're doubling year over year? Still, it's harder to do at larger numbers. Uh, we are not doubling year over year, but we're growing very strongly. High double digits. We're doing well. All right. You, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't confirm single digits. So I'll say somewhere between 50 and 100% year over year, which is right in line with what companies your size obviously are growing at. Um, and I love the ratio between what you've raised and, uh, your ARR, which is healthy, right? Uh, in terms of how, how far you've stretched a dollar, which is great. You wouldn't be able to stretch those dollars far if churn was an issue. So you figured out churn. Tell me about how you think about churn in the business and what it is today. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important for every SaaS company to look very honestly at both their gross retention as well as their net retention. Uh, so gross is, of course, uh, and, and there's many different ways. This is the, the fascinating thing you kind of find out. Uh, there's very different ways people end up calculating their churn. What we like to say is we are an ARR business, not an MRR business. Uh, pretty much all of our contracts are on an annual basis, in some cases, multi-year contracts. So uh, you can't really look at churn on a month-over-month basis because it's not being intellectually honest. So what we end up doing is look at it at a, at a cohort level of those accounts that landed that started last August, how many are up for renewal right now and how are we doing retaining them? So you've got the pure gross retention and then we've got a very strong land and expand model. So w- when we upsell those existing accounts, that tr- that leads to very strong net negative churn. So uh, you've got to treat both of those independently. Otherwise, you can mask a very leaky bucket and gross retention problems if you're only focused on uh, on net churn. Appeal the cover back though for me though. I mean, what is gross? Gross. I mean, a lot. So a lot of people have very healthy expansion engines, and it covers problems with gross churn underneath because they're you know the expansion is so so rapid. Uh, if I peel back the layer there and look at what your gross revenue churn is before you get to net negative when you add back expansion, what is gross churn? Yeah, uh, as a private company, we don't break out some of those uh, some of those smaller numbers, but it is very much in line with what you'd expect from a company selling to. And we look at two, two different cohorts: the enterprise segment of our customers and the mid market segment of our customers. Okay, so we do a lot of customer satisfaction and uh, you know the standard types of retention rates. Uh, I would say on the gross retention, it's pretty uh, average across what you'd see with many other SaaS companies serving a similar type of customer. On the net negative, on the net side, uh, we have especially strong numbers because of that land and expand model. What is especially strong, like negative 5% or higher? Would you consider that exceptionally strong? Uh, I'd say north of 110%. I'd I'd consider, you know, getting. Well, you're that now you're flipping it there. You're talking revenue retention annually. 
Yeah. So net revenue or and by the way, usually the same thing, but sometimes people will calculate. I don't know why they'll calculate net revenue retention differently than just being the inverse of of negative revenue churn. So uh, healthy numbers there, a great expansion strategy. Talk to me very quickly around pricing. So a lot of people struggle who struggle with expansion haven't kind of clearly defined pricing axes that are like utility based to drive expansion around. How did you figure out your axes and which one is most effective for you? Pricing is such a fascinating subject to think about and talk about. And uh, over the years of the company, this is probably the thing that we debated the most and argued about the most and tried to figure out. And in the early days, I, I was a former engineer. And I think uh, that that was to the detriment of figuring out a pricing model because you end up trying to figure out something that is maybe rational, rational right? Logically very correct. And there was a, you know, we served up visual content inside these emails. So I had this crazy model early on that was looking at square pixels. I'm like, hey, if someone's using up more real estate inside the email, they should pay us more. And it was ridiculously complex. And it was a, just a dumb idea. <laughs> so the, the best thing was, what is the convention? What are our customers used to paying for similar types of things? And for us, it was looking at the email service providers who had already established a, a framework for CPM based upon email sends. So we used a very similar model, but of course, we can't me- uh, measure sends. We only show up when an email gets opened. So it's CPM on email open. Interesting. So the card, there's dis- some discounting that happens as you go into higher volume usage. But uh, it is, you know, that lets us be very flexible with our customers. We can start small. We don't have to go take over their entire email program. We can land, come up with one or two compelling use cases in the first three months, get them up and running, really nail it, and then start to scale that out into doing far more meaningful things. Okay, so one axis or kind of number of opens around specific, maybe two specific use cases quickly. Do you, most folks that are growing fast have multiple axes. Do you have a second strong one, like number of seats on the marketing team or things like that? You know, it's basically that one axis uh, okay. that we, we price upon. Uh, as we are over the course of the next few weeks, we're actually coming out with some new products. And so we've been able to adapt that model very successfully. So there could be uh, different rate cards in different conditions, but the core concept still remains the same. It's just the the pricing tiers kind of change when you go to a more premium version of our product. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about how you're finding new customers. Uh, you're obviously in the enterprise space, so I imagine some some variation of account base. But first, from an economic perspective, based off how little you've raised, I'm assuming you're cash flow positive today. Is that accurate? Uh, we are not cash flow positive. We could okay. be, but we're very close. When did you, well, m- maybe the last round was more recent than I thought. When was the last round of funding? Uh, we did a small uh, note with some inside investors uh, just to feel, uh, not even spending it. We just wanted a little more on our balance sheet, given we're a much larger business than uh, when we were a long time ago. Uh, but before that, it was about five years. Oh, oh, five years. Okay, so that $14 million you brought in, ignoring the note, that $14 million, that was all raised more than five years ago. We, we raised about nine point three uh, five years ago, and we added about $5 million to it uh, maybe six months ago. On, on a note, debt, basically. Just to have a little bit yeah. on our balance sheet to be comfortable. Vivek, hold on, break that down. There has to be some strategy there. I don't. I, it, it, just saying to be comfortable, I get that, I get it, but there's got to be something there driving that. Is it a bridge round to drive to a harder valuation? Is you're trying to scale an engineering team faster? Uh, no, it's purely, uh, we've been in a 10-year bull market and we feel really good about the business and where things are going. But uh, if there is a dip that happens, we, we'd rather have the money on our balance sheet when we don't need it, uh, when it's sitting there. But, uh, you know, if, if okay. the economy should enter a recession after a very long bull market, we just want to have enough of a war chest uh, to be able to make the right decisions and not have an overreaction. 
yeah, I know you're a data guy, so I want to be, you know, I don't believe you would say just be comfortable. I'm sure there were Excel sheets and rationalizing this somehow. So I'm assuming you were taking, you know, taking the bull market by the horns. You, you got down to a six or 7% super low interest rate. And you said, we might as well lock this in, put it in the bank and hold it for a rainy day. Yes. Exactly. And just, and just be clear, it was a no, you didn't work with a venture debt firm. Uh, we've got some facilities with Silicon Valley Bank for, you know, okay. we'll a revolver in place and, and things like that. But um, we, you know, not a venture capital, some inside investors. Uh, and, you know, we work with Silicon Valley Bank, which I think yeah. every, every They have, you know, those guys are great. They have so many different vehicles, though. Did you do a revenue-based financing deal with them? Or was it more like an MRR term loan, like interest-free and you only pay as you draw down, that kind of thing? Uh, no? Yeah, we've changed the type of facility uh, in the course of last year. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we are, we, we've got a revenue-based facility now. Okay. And by, by that, just to make sure we're talking about the same thing, when I, when I talk about revenue based, I mean, payback is typically a percentage of gross receipts per month. Is that what it, that's what it is? Uh, it's an MRR based facility. Okay. <laughs> so uh, recurring revenue is tied to, yes, the, the, how much, re- not, not gap revenue. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Look, the, the thing I've seen with some people that do that is if you end up paying it back faster, like let's say you use the money to grow really quick and you've locked in a 9%, like, of your gross receipts per month, your payback can actually be way quicker and you hit the repayment cap way quicker than what you put in the pro forma. And then the, the effective cost of capital is actually through the roof when you calculate the IRR. Do, do you look at that at all? We've done calculations on uh, equity versus debt versus, um, you know, risk factors even, you know, if you, if you get to a certain point. And so there's a kind of a balanced view we, we take and there's a mix of a little bit of both that we, yeah. we come to. to. Yeah. Very good. Before we wrap up, um, again, tell me how aggressive you're being with CAC right now. Are you below six months, below 12 months, below 24 months? Where do you try and target? Uh, we, we haven't had a hard target on CAC. Uh, I will say our, our payback periods, uh, they are under 12 months. Oh, great. Okay. A very efficient engine going there. Uh, and our LTV to CAC is also uh, extremely impressive. Um, I, I think you're doing really well, right? With a five, um, you know, 5X LTV to CAC, we're, we're surpassing that by quite a bit. Yep. So we've got a very efficient sales and marketing machine going and our payback periods make a ton of sense. And, uh, y- you know, building that efficient engine was important to us. Uh, I used to drive a Mustang Cobra years ago and, you know, it sounds great and it's got this big V8, but, you know, this is the big, powerful engine. Uh, what we built here is a BMW. It's a more refined, efficient engine that uh, we can count upon. And it forces you to really understand what's happening under the hood, what's under what's happening in the business. Yeah. Where's everybody based? Where's the team? We've got about 250 people. I'd say probably about 180 of those are here in New York City. Uh, we've got about 30 in San Francisco, probably 25 to 30 in London. Uh, got a couple people in Japan. We've got a person in Australia. And the uh, international expansion is starting to happen um, pretty quickly. We've also got, got about a dozen people in Costa Rica. That's great. Now, last question before we wrap up with the famous five. If I continue down your bull market thesis, and if you really want to take advantage of a bull market, you might say, hey, we could probably get some pretty good offers right now. Are you in any acquisition talks right now? We are not. And uh, it's not something you're pursuing? Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we, we've, we've certainly been approached in the past about uh, I- interesting types of opportunities. But every time we felt like the business is... Uh, at an early stage and the potential hasn't really hasn't been realized and so we're very excited about uh, especially in the next few weeks new product announcements really broadening what the company does and as we look at the next few years we don't see that growth slowing down no secondary for you and early founders or early shareholders uh no one here has ever done a secondary that's pretty good that's pretty good all right we'll see what happens let's wrap up with some much easier questions here number one favorite business book uh, recently, I read Creativity Inc. 
And there's a lot of business books around MQLs, SQLs, that kind of thing. But around the creative process and how Pixar uh, did it, I think it's a remarkable book. Ed Catmull, it's a good one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? This might be a little bit of a controversial one, but I'm still an Elon Musk fan. Uh, I think you can criticize him for certain actions and tweets and things like that. But I think more CEOs should be thinking about making a big dent in the universe about doing something very ambitious. And for that, you know, I think our society will be in a bigger place if he succeeds. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your business besides your own? It's a tie for me between Asana and Slack. Slack lets me get connected to everyone in the company. Asana lets me get organized. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? Six. And what's your situation, Vic? Married, single kids? Uh, married to a wonderful woman, Anya. We've got two kids, six and four. So they are just a little bit younger than our company, which is eight. <laughs> and how old are you? I'm 42. All right, take us home. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, I have a computer science background. I was an engineer right out of school. I wish I had learned and taken a job that had me selling much earlier in my career. I think selling is such a valuable skill. Everyone should get some experience. It's uh, it's reality. Guys, learn sales earlier. It's funny. All the engineers say learn sales and all the sales will say code earlier. Right? That's how it works. We need each other. It has to be both. Guys... Uh, <laughs> there you have it from Vivek again, founded Movable Inc. back in 2010. They've now scaled to over 500 customers, uh, about 40 million bucks in ARR. They're up, you know, growing 50 to 100% year over year. They've managed to drive this growth on just 14 million bucks raised. So they managed to do a lot with a little bit of money. 110% net revenue retention annually with a very healthy pricing axis that allow, allows them to drive expansion revenue, really tied to, again, open rates on those emails of these big enterprise customers using them. They've got less than a 12-month payback period. Their team of 250 people cranking out new products between New York City, San Fran, London, and other remote locations. Vivek, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks again, Nathan.